Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Yale Global Online is the flagship publication of the Yale Center for the Study of Globalization and explores the implications of the world's growing interconnectedness through people, products, and ideas. Iran's Global Ambitions, Part 2, by Willem van Kimenad, read by Patricia Alejandro. After a diplomatic marathon of several months, China agreed on June 9th with fellow permanent members of the UN Security Council, plus Germany, to a new round of UN sanctions against Iran's nuclear program. But that approval was in the condition that China's extensive interest in Iran's oil and gas sectors would remain untouched. When U.S. President Barack Obama signed a bill with new, more rigorous unilateral sanctions, China strongly criticized the move as excessive and stated, China believes that the Security Council resolution should be fully, seriously, and correctly enforced and cannot be willfully expanded. China's criticism echoed Russia's and aimed not only at the U.S., but also at the tougher measures that the European Union was preparing in Obama's footsteps. China worried that its companies and banks, with exposure in Iran, could be banned from doing business in the U.S. and had to make preemptive moves, such as transferring Iran's assets away from companies that wanted to keep options open for the U.S. market. By early August, Washington warned China not to take advantage of the U.N. sanctions regime by backfilling or scooping up opportunities left by departing EU companies complied with Obama's unilateral sanctions bill. China and Russia have accumulated vast interest in the Iranian nuclear energy and other sectors after Iran's largest trading partners, the U.S. and Britain, rushed for the exit during the 1979 Islamic Revolution. China became the main supplier of Iran's nuclear program and other sectors after the Ayatollahs resumed the Shah's ambitious nuclear program in 1985. During a severe crisis in U.S.-China relations over Taiwan, trade, MFN, human rights, and the Iranian nuclear program in the mid-1990s, China yielded to U.S. pressure and halted its nuclear cooperation with Iran in 1997, leaving the role of nuclear supplier to Russia. China had the choice, entered into its own nuclear technology transfer relationship with the U.S., or forfeited this in favor of Iran. In 1995, the Russians had already agreed to complete a major nuclear pl power plant in Iran, started by German Kraftwerke Union under the Shah in 1974. After numerous delays, the civilian nuclear plant in Bushehr on the Persian Gulf was inaugurated on August 21, 2010, with Russia expected to supply the low-enriched uranium. Still, Washington demanded delay of launch because of evaporating pro-Western warmth from the Kremlin and opposition from Israel. The hardline Jerusalem Post demagogically wrote, completion of the Boucher project is another sign that the international sanctions are not working. Renewed Russian support for Iran is a reflection of the policy discrepancies between pro-Western President Dmitry Medvedev and hardline realist Prime Minister Vladimir Putin. The latter has concluded that losing Iran is a major nuclear customer and allowing the West to progressively weaken Iran would be detrimental to Russia's own security, strengthening NATO in Central Asia, and facilitate further U.S. interventionism in the region. China expresses similar concerns, reflecting in detailed accusations that the U.S. National Endowment for Democracy is engaged in schemes to destabilize Tibet and Xinjiang.
Regardless of American resets and separate new EU-US sanctions, the Moscow Chamber of Commerce told Bloomberg News in late July that state-controlled Russian oil companies, including Gazprom and Rosneft, were in talks with the Iranians about delivering gasoline during August and September. Chinese editorials condemned U.S. policy without specifics on retaliatory action Beijing might take, while gloating that the Harlan United Front on sanctions is cracking. The U.S. is building its case against Iran by overstating the threat Iran poses to regional peace and stability, one editorial wrote. The U.S. policy of antagonizing the assisting government, labeling it as a member of the axis of evil, and threatening to use force against Iran, is dragging the entire region into dangerous uncertainty. The editorial accused the U.S. not only of casting the shadow of war on the world, but also of harming China's interest. China values a smooth Sino-U.S. relationship, but it does not wish to sacrifice its developing relationship with Iran, China is against Iran acquiring nuclear weapons. Meanwhile, China has secured strategic interests in Iran. Faced with combined Russian and Chinese, but also Turkish, Brazilian, and even German opposition on the sanctions front, President Obama continued taking bold moves to de-escalate the tension. In a months-long internal debate with U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert Gates, Obama has ruled out laying down any public red lines at this point, for Iran's uranium enrichment and wants to set out a clear series of steps the U.S. would accept as proof that the Tehran regime was not pursuing the bomb as it always vows. For now, Obama returns to his position during his first year in office, distinguished between Iran developing nuclear capability but stopping short of making the bomb, as described by Garth Porter in Asia Times. This is known as the so-called Japanese formula, and while not final, it may unblock the road to compromise. The big question is whether China at this stage will openly support Iran in alleviating the sanctions. Ying Gang, a senior research fellow at the Institute of West Asian and African Studies of the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences and regular commentator on Chinese television, says that China will be cautious in balancing its interests with Iran, the Arab countries, and the U.S., Iran wants gasoline from us and wants us to build seven refineries. These are not on the list of UN sanctions, but they are on the list of US and EU sanctions, he says. It is not beneficial for China to do this now, and not in the interest of international law either. The government hasn't made a decision, but I don't think we will do it. Yin says that China's major state oil companies are jumping to take over the projects that Europeans will abandon, these business people have no sense of the damage that indiscriminate expansion in Iran will do to China's interests in the Arab world, particularly our relations with Saudi Arabia, he laments. With need U.S.-EU-China dialogue to coordinate Middle East policy to promote diplomatic and peaceful solutions. Iranian officials boast that China has invested $4 billion in the Iranian gas sector, but Yin says that it may reach that amount when including all letters of intent intergovernmental agreements. In terms of final business contracts, he notes, the total is far less. Similar to 1997, when China abandoned its large-scale support for the Iranian nuclear program, tensions in U.S.-China relations have again grown under the Obama presidency. North Korea, Taiwan, arms sales, and most recently, the South China Sea and Vietnam 
where the U.S. reasserts its strategic interest in disputing China's territorial claims. Ying Gang concludes, Our main priority with the United States now is that it doesn't move too close to Vietnam. His veiled message may be that China must reassess its interest in Iran once again in view of global dynamics. Willem van Kemenad is China analyst based in Beijing and a senior fellow at the Clingendale Institute of International Relations in The Hague. His latest book, Iran's Relations with China and the West, Confrontation and Cooperation in Asia. This and other Yale Global articles can be found at yaleglobal.yale.edu.